Hi, my name is Scott Kerland, and my best friend Lils Martin hates musicals. I'm Lils Martin, and my friend and acquaintance Scott Kerland loves musicals. Wait, what? But I don't like I don't like begrudging for it or anything. Wait, I don't know. I said you were my best friend, and you just called me a friend and acquaintance. Yeah. I was working really, really hard on creating this podcast for you where I show you great movie musicals and bad movie musicals because I love you, but you want to be a dick. We were supposed to record this promo for Hell is a Musical, and what are we doing right now? Sounds like we're recording the promo right now. Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network. Be there. Ah, I'm doing one of my favorite movies. I'm going to need a top-notch crew. Let's see who I can get. I'm Lils from Jukebox Zeros. I'm sassy. Hey, Lils. That's going to show up great on audio. Do you want to bring Pat? Nah, he's he's uh, doing something. He's, okay. he, he, he told me he was going to play with his cat, and that was like five hours ago. All right, we got to continue this bit. Who's next? This is Christopher from Nickelback and an Old Man Yellow Cloud. Um, I'm, I'm the wheels man, but you know what? I'm getting a little old for this game. One more job and I'm out. Hey, Chris. <laughs> yes. Nose tap. I give a nose tap back plus a nod. <laughs> and I'm rolling. That's a, that's a nat 20. I have a cane. That's right. We watched the sting, so you know what that means. It's in the basket, the writer's bagel basket. Dun 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 dun. Welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kurland, and it is my self-indulgent birthday month, and I have two of my favorite people in the world as co-host. There would have been a third. (laughs) (laughs) He's busy eating McDonald's. Leave him alone. (laughs) He's He's busy eating bongs and smoking McDonald's. He said we we could make fun of him on the podcast. (laughs) As well we should. He's a goon. Pat, Pat forgot. <laughs> I was I wasn't gonna wait for his permission. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, Pat forgot to. Oh yeah, I have Lily Pad with me, and Chris, you need a nickname, so I'm gonna call you Christopher Cross. Sailing takes me away. Sailing takes me away to where I'm uh, my my band Very Lumar actually recorded a cover of that song as a Kickstarter reward uh, <laughs> when we were pressing our album to vinyl. 
That is amazing. Uh, I can send a link to both of you after this. I think we uh, I think we made that private on the Bandcamp. <laughs> Thank you. But what about when I get caught between the moon and New York City? It sounds crazy. Well, <laughs> There, there's a line in it that um, we actually changed because as uh, Paul, our singer, was doing takes, I was tracking it, and uh, I, I stopped it during the middle of one line, and I'm like, did you just say, I swear I didn't put something in your drink? <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I heard that from the line, so he actually just sang that in our cover. And now that's in the public record. <laughs> sure is. So yeah. Uh, oh, and of course, I am Scott Pocket. <laughs> oh, Nice. That's my nickname. That's what my wife calls me. Um, <laughs> Don't forget me, your favorite mailman, Gary. I'm in the chat, too. Oh, fuck you, Gary. <laughs> yeah, and me, Mike Housepaint. I'm the little guy that can fit in any box. <laughs> so, so I'm my- Madam Crumpetbottom, and I declare that I am in the Zoom chat, too. Okay, if we had a crew, we would not have a dowager because we would have a <laughs> prostitute. Because that's what they had in the sting. They had a frosted. Oi! Oi! It's me, in it? I'm here. I'm the information's fella. It's me, Frank Pucha. Okay, now now we're getting Ocean's Eleven confused. It's with me, McCoy. I learned how to talk. Oh, you leave my dog alone. <laughs> He's a good boy. And I'll, I take exception to the Ocean's comment because I, I used no rhyme slang there whatsoever. I actually intentionally did not. <laughs> so for my self-indulgent birthday month, we watched my favorite movie of all time, The Sting. And what did y'all think? Uh, They're shrugging. Well, yeah, Wills wasn't talking, so I'll, I'll go. Um, I fucking loved it. It was a great movie. Uh, it- I think this is the first time I have been on Writer's Bagel Basket and both I and Scott enjoyed what we watched. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's either you enjoy it or I enjoy it. And yeah, never yeah. the two shall meet. Or it's like no, when no. we did Moulin yeah, we, Rouge and we were both yeah. miserable. Yeah. <laughs> See, the reason I wasn't talking a bit ago is because I feel like this whole episode, all I'm going to do is disappoint Scott. Oh, well, don't worry. Don't I, worry. I didn't it's... dislike the movie. I will tell you that much. I don't think I liked it nearly as much as you guys did, though. Well, think but... of it this way. It's karmically sort of like you're delivering what I delivered when we listened to Sparks on Old Man Yellow Cloud. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't as enthusiastic as everyone else. Oh, man. It's just it's karma coming right around. <laughs> what did I do? I listen to shitty albums for you. <laughs> and I, I, f- get- I feel like the majority of this just has more to do with like that I'm not much of a movie person in general, but I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but I wouldn't say that I loved it. Okay, because because Lil's is is in the bottom tier of us. You get to do the blockbuster rule. Wait a minute. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to ask some clarification on that statement. <laughs> You've been I, keeping track of tears this whole time. <laughs> I'm talking about for for liking the movie. Like, is there a tournament bracket? Well, uh, well, speaking you're, you're as S, speaking as an S tier member, um, I'm not supposed to talk about it. <laughs> Remember, if you talk about it, you and I have to do a knife fight. You know, like in Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, I was hoping for uh, a beat at one where like we tie our hands together. That's they, do, Rebel Without that... a Cause. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that movie. 
It's basically the same thing. Oh. <laughs> so, Lils, what's the blockbuster rule? You're in a blockbuster video, and what does the box of the sting say? Um, do you want a real explanation or a snarky one? Snarky. Okay. The snarky narrative. It's the 1920s. 30s. Before fact-checking has been invented. It's the 30s. It's the 30s. <laughs> Shut up. This is all part of the description, by the way. <laughs> it's the 1920s, the 40s, the 30s. Shut up. That's it? That's just what it says? Yes. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. Wow, this sounds intriguing. <laughs> it, might be, it might be a time travel film. <laughs> it, it's like about time, but instead of, you know, finding the love of his life, he finds con men and prostitutes. <laughs> the big two. So, okay, it's it's the nineteen four. Did we 30s. did we agree yet? Thirties. Thank you. No, there, there was agreement from the beginning. <laughs> this episode is just going to be Chris and I ganging up on Lils. How could you hate the movie? I mean, it, I guess it's been a long time coming. <laughs> but but then like it it does like the go around. It's like wait, now you hold Scott's arms and I'm going to punch him. Wait, what? (laughs) Okay, serious blockbuster uh, rule. Robert Redford, a grifter, hooks up with another grifter, Paul Newman, to get revenge on a mob guy, Robert Shaw, by pulling off a really big grift. I believe they like to be called confidence men. (laughs) That's what they like to be called, but we don't want to give in to their demands. And I also, I, I love, okay, so, Chris, you, you said in, in the chat that you watched Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yes, uh, within the last week. Yeah, so oh my. Um, my, my wife has a and d game that she plays once a week, and she does another podcast um, that, uh, that she records, like, usually in the evenings as well. So on those nights, I basically sit, like, a moron with my jaw completely agape as I play Animal Crossing on the Switch handheld and oh, I have I a th- movie going on I, in the background. I thought you were going to say that that the D&D did, did role-playing out the take in the Pelham 1, 2, 3 and you I had didn't want to say research. anything but I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> that would have been dope to like role-play that game. But we, <laughs> we both rather. know that you would be Walter Matthau. You would not be Robert Shaw. I don't know. I don't know because I like... Robert Shaw, he's a great villain. I just want to get that out of the way because he basically, in a lot of ways, there are some differences in the character backstory, but in both of these movies, he basically plays the same guy. (laughs) And I like that guy. (laughs) Okay, so do you want to know how how they got Robert Shaw? Um, Did did they catch him in a sting? No, no, he's actually, he, he was like best friends with Paul Newman. Okay. And after after like a day of drinking <laughs> Paul Newman gets does. a phone call from from George Roy Hill the director and he's like, "Yeah, so Oliver Reed doesn't want to do this. Uh Sterling Hayden won't shave his fucking beard. We need someone." <laughs> it's true. Sterling Hayden from from Doctor Strangelove would not shave his fucking beard, so he wouldn't do the movie. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So, uh so he gives uh, Robert Shaw the script. Robert Shaw looks at it, reads it all in an hour, looks at him and goes, delicious, when do I start? <laughs> that uh, Everything I have 
been learning about Robert Shaw these past couple of weeks has really been adding up to it. Uh, yeah, just to finish the thought that I had, though, um, I so I've been using that time while I am holding the Switch to also watch movies in the background and catch up on classic films that I have not seen. So I'm not just, like, sitting there... Um, Orange, uh, Clockwork Orange style uh, with Animal Crossing and Nintendo as my captor. <laughs> I am also trying to culture myself further. If you start doing obscure quotes from Clockwork Orange as you're doing it, you just look up and you look at your wife and you're like, you gave away my room. <laughs> the, the one I always like is, uh, you are invited. Uh, to my island. To my island. Yeah, you can come to my island. It's called Rikers. Anyone who wants to come can come there. <laughs> so yeah, he's been showing us photos of it in like the Slack chat, and he's basically created a fuck dungeon. <laughs> no, it's a murder dungeon. It's a serial killer dungeon. There is a well in there for fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but I feel like the line between the two is tenuous at best. I, hey, wait a minute. Was she a great big fat girl? <laughs> so. so. I, I think that the line is whether or not the person is alive, and that becomes a really dark conversation, and I don't agree with you that we should go there. My question is, <laughs> how did you get the the contractor to build you said murder dungeon? Did you have him over for dinner? And like, sometimes I like to do my own butchering of, you know, meats, and I get messy, and I like to scream while I do it. So I need silence, complete silence. So the laws of uh, of Tom Nook are pretty liberal uh, in that when you hire a contractor <laughs> for work, <laughs> if they work you for two weeks, you don't have to pay them if you fire them for doing a poor job. You so what said, I do is... Uh, you said that in the same inflection that you'd say, like, the law of the conch. <laughs> so I, I hire contractors for two weeks to do some work on the basement. Then I fire them for not doing the job correctly, and I don't have ah, to pay them. H.H. Then I style. Two Yes, HH home style, exactly. So that's that's how you get a murder castle. Um, at least, you know, today on a Tom Nook Island or in the 1880s in Chicago. Uh, so, speaking of the 1880s, that's when the sting takes place. 1931. <laughs> okay, so backstory of, of how the sting became my favorite movie. Um, if anyone knows who Jonah Ray is, I, I'm sure you guys do. I'm talking mm -hmm. to our listeners. Uh, he is a podcaster, but he has this theory that the movie you see when you're like 11 or 12 years old, those become your favorite films of all time. And the four or five that I saw that became some of my favorite movies of all time, this was one of them. Like, I, I was in Blockbuster, and in one weekend, my dad showed me this and Harold and Maude and Coming to America. Your dad like, showed you Harold and Maude? Yeah. <laughs> My voice cracked as I asked you that. <laughs> Are you okay? Your father showed you that? What? My dad never showed me Harold or Maude. The unofficial sequel, Harold or Maude. Well, she's dead at this point, so he's probably had her stuff. This is how Harold so just becomes Harold. like... This is how Harold becomes like Norman Bates. He has her stuff. Oh, yeah, so he's um, he's doing a regular uh, was it Doctor Van Kosel, Doctor Von Kosel, the uh, the the guy in Florida who kept a woman for like twenty years, not twenty years. It was like a few years after her death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know one how to feel about some of these trivia bits, you know. Well, it's it's a story. <laughs> <laughs> Lil's 
let's make an agreement right here. We're never going to go over Chris's house alone. We'll go in groups. Oh, yeah. Always go in a group. <laughs> You're like, more for hunting. <laughs> <laughs> no, Carl Tanzler. That was his name. He had a, an assumed name in the States. Yeah, it's a really fucked up story. And uh, Every, he, he every looks... time you come on this podcast, you pick something weird to look up. Last time it was Huey Lewis's penis. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Slow the fucking brakes right now. I because did you not haven't seen shortcuts. <laughs> That's how yeah. I know. Yeah, so you just dropped the bombshell that Huey Lewis is hung like a fucking donkey. And I'm supposed to just sit here and take that and just be like, oh, okay. I'm going to fold my hands on my lap and just nod politely. No, I'm going to fucking look that up for verification. <laughs> Thank you. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't even remember what movies I even saw when I was 11 or 12. Shortcuts, The Player. <laughs> All the movies where Huey Lewis showed his penis. <laughs> Wait, did they show it in Shortcuts? <laughs> yeah. Wait, really? That's how I know. You you actually see Huey Lewis's little Huey? It's not little. <laughs> you see Big Huey and Big Huey? <laughs> it's hip. It's hip Big to Huey be and Hubert. <laughs> no, guys, it's the news. <laughs> that that entire band title is all about him. It would be <laughs> it would be great if it was like if he referred to it as William Randolph Hearst, like it's above the news. <laughs> it owns the news. <laughs> but yes. So serial killers last this time. We talked about Huey Lewis, Milton Burrow, and some other well-endowed people. Yeah, Milton Burrow, one of Hollywood's uh, famous tripods. <laughs> so back to the sting. We're 17 minutes in and we haven't even talked about this movie. Yeah, we did. <laughs> what do you mean? I gave that amazing recap. Yeah, and we've we've talked about um, the entertainer. <laughs> I just remember one weekend watching this and Harold and Maude and coming to America, and then the weirdest one was Cinema Paradiso. <laughs> I so that's another one that's on my to watch list that uh, is is on deck for me. Watch but, uh, watch it with your wife. Don't watch it alone. It, okay. it will give you all the feels. Okay. It's incredibly sad. Oh, it's okay. No, I, I can handle that. Also, I listen to The Cure for fuck's sake. I can handle sad. Okay. <laughs> You'll see. It. I won't go into it. <laughs> yeah, A projectionist goes blind, and it's the saddest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay. That that's it. So that's why the staying um Thanks, Lils. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yes, I picked the Sting because it's my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it 75 times. Actually, this week alone up to 78. Uh it's got my favorite actor of all time in it. Two of my favorite actors of all time in it. Paul Newman. May I guess? May I guess? Okay. I mean, he just gave one away. I I didn't fully hear it because I was I was talking over and and he's still a little quieter than uh than us. I'm gonna guess Robert Earl Jones, father of James Earl Jones, and Ray Walston. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess Scott Joplin. Yes, Scott Joplin, the ghost of Scott Joplin is my favorite <laughs> actor. Paul Newman and Robert Shaw. Yeah, fair enough. Shaw is just a delight. Yeah. 
So I was shocked that Robert Shaw was not nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I saw some uh, some talk that that may have been because he insisted on being third build on the film underneath both uh, Redford and Newman. But he's he could have been supporting, like. He could have been, but usually the way it goes a lot of the times with the Academy, if there's two main actors in a role that are the same sex, they'll make one supporting, which is dumb as all fuck, but that seems to be the way that it shakes out a lot of the time. Yeah. Also, Her- Harold Harold Gould in this movie, I fucking love his Kid Twist, the guy with the cane, Lils. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you mentioned me twirling my cane. <laughs> Yeah, that's literally all I remembered about that character, that he had a cane. Yeah. I, I that, can quote I can quote this movie backwards and forwards. <laughs> was was he the one that was uh was was as as I put in my notes, not Sam Elliott? Uh yes. Okay. Did he have a mustache? Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> I thought he looked kinda like John Cleese. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, if Cleese and um, and Sam Elliott had a beautiful baby boy who'd probably look something like that. And that's literally all I remember about him. John Cleese with, with a cane and a, a gray hat. There are a lot of gray hats, though, so that's not going to help you too much here. Mm, no, it's not. little backstory on this movie. Not only was this uh, the winner of seven Academy Awards, which I think this is the one movie on this podcast I've done that has this much prestige... It was nominated for 10, won 7. Uh, but also has the most alcoholism of the entire production being filmed. So is that behind the scenes or on camera? Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, because it was a pretty boozy on camera, but uh, I, I can imagine that there were some shenanigans behind the scenes of this as well. So apparently Paul Newman and George Roy Hill love playing pranks on each other. Like the way George Clooney likes to prank people on his movies and shit. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I guess George Roy Hill is like, hey, are we going to drink tonight? And Paul Newman's like, yeah, you know we fucking are. And he's like, hey, can you bring over some booze because I'm all out? So then Newman sends him a bill for $8, and George Roy Hill countered that with a... Uh, four-page letter on the importance of friendship. <laughs> so what? Newman countered with bringing a chainsaw into to George Roy Hill's office and cutting his desk in half. And then Universal's like, okay, your pranks need to stop and someone needs to pay $800 <laughs> for this desk. And no one did. <laughs> and then they both pooped in Richard Lewis's cat box. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was looking up some of the behind the scenes stuff from this. I really like how the script was essentially discovered in a in just like a muddy pile. <laughs> yeah, and the weirdest person discovered this movie. <laughs> yes, I love who found it. <laughs> Do you want to tell Lils? Sure. It was uh Rob Cohen who would later go on to direct some uh, Fast and Furious films. <laughs> and not just Oh really? Triple X. Triple X. Um, the was it the Rise of the Scorpion King? What's was that s- subtitle of that mummy movie? I think so, it was just the, just the Scorpion King. It was just the Scorpion King. Everything's yeah. Rise of now, so I want to I want to make everything Rise of. <laughs> I believe how, it's how called Return of the Scorpion. Rob Cohen's uh, early seventies. Okay. Yeah, so he was like twenty when he found this script. So he was twenty when he found the uh, 
wily and elusive script bog beast and (laughs) deigned to get close enough to peel it off of his supple, oily flesh. Well, the funny thing is the producer of this movie was like, or the agent who sold this movie is like, if this movie isn't big, you're never going to work in this town again or something stupid like that, he said. We're going to feed you to the pile. (laughs) Fuck you, Rob Cohen. You're going to work with Vin Diesel. Who's that? You'll see. He's more muscle now than man. (laughs) (laughs) He's more flab than man. Shots fired at Vin Diesel. Come at me, bro. Hey, can I talk about uh, Growing Pains for a second? Sure. Oh, are you going to talk about the episode where they play The Entertainer like four times? I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's all I can think of whenever I hear The Entertainer is the fucking paper root episode of Growing Pains. Me too! (laughs) Do you want to give a premise of that episode? I don't remember. (laughs) Okay, so it starts out where Mike Seaver, uh, Kirk Cameron, gets a paper root. And he's like... I think it was in the part the era of the show when he was living in an apartment above the garage. So he was like 19 or 20 in the show. He's and an he adult a- at this point. Yeah, he's an adult who gets this like massive paper route that earns, I think it was like $500 a day or $200, $250 a day or something. The reason I'm going in 50% here is because uh, he starts this little scheme where he unloads it on Ben, his brother, to do it for half the amount uh, by saying like, oh, it's a huge route. If you do half of it, I'll give you half the money, but unbeknownst to Ben, he gives him the entire route and then skims off his money off the top. Ben then does the same thing to a friend of his, skimming off half the money, and it basically Who goes down. Who is the friend? Uh, what? It wasn't Boner. It was Boner. Boner. No, Boner was definitely out of the show by then. Oh, oh, then it was Eddie. Probably was Eddie. That would have made sense because it went through a few different friends until it ended on someone who was agreed to do the route for a dollar a day. And every time someone would agree to do it, the entertainer would play, and the cast would get confused and look around and say, where is that music coming from? Yeah. So uh, that's, Kirk- that's why the staying... Uh, I'm just going to do that every time you guys get off on a tangent that I can't contribute <laughs> anything to. Well, I just want to point out that Kirk Cameron left Growing Pains because he thought it, was, he thought it wasn't clean enough. And that was a premise of an episode of Growing Pants. But he was the start. Never mind. Back to the sting. Over my dead body. (laughs) So the basic basic premise as we get into it is that um, in Joliet, Illinois in the 1930s, there is basically a racket going on run by... Doyle Lonigan, who is also called... What do they call him in this movie, Chris? Uh, I primarily only got Doyle or Lonigan or when... Um, the Big. The Big? They call him the Big Mick. Oh, I, I did not catch that. You didn't catch that? <laughs> I did not I, catch that either. I did not catch the Big Mick, no. But um, uh, I'm definitely going to be rewatching this movie because I think there are some things that I missed in the process. But yes, uh, I, I missed that particular uh, racial epithet. I did notice a lot of others, though. This movie is very dated. <laughs> yes. It's yeah, very. It's dated in that way that movies thought that they they used to have to be they're like well this is just how it was so we have to do this yeah it's authenticity 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't get I, me fucking started on the Stephen King. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is, apparently Robert Shaw was the one who was, who like gave them. He's like, "You can call me this slur. You can call me that slur." And he wrote it down on like a cocktail napkin. <laughs> I I just want to like roll back for one second. Did you just call him the Stephen King? No, I just said, "Don't even get me started on Stephen King." No, I distinctly heard you call him the Stephen King. I mean, I look. Time will prove me right one way or the other. <laughs> but no, I was just I was just calling him out for saying uh, racist shit too, just in the in the same manner. But anyway, <laughs> the Mummy Two, the Stephen King. <laughs> the Mummy Two, the Stephen King. <laughs> so, My God, it- the area between its nose and lip is so large. <laughs> So so basically, this racket's going on, and um, at the same time, these con men exist. Just two grifters, as they're called. So this guy is supposed to be transporting this money for Doyle Lonigan, gets ripped off by Robert Redford, who plays Johnny Hooker. What a name. Yeah, it's pretty solid. The names in this movie are hysterical. You have Kid Twist, Eddie the Nose, J.J. Singleton. Yeah, I, there is not a bad name in this movie. I was looking through the Wikipedia as I was watching it, and yeah, it's it's just fantastic. My favorite is Dookie Boudreaux. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Actually, my favorite is Henry Gondorf. I just fucking love Henry Gondorf. Gondorf is, that's not a name. Yeah, that's definitely a creature created by the <laughs> Jim Henson wor- workshop. <laughs> Hi, I'm the Gondorf! <laughs> I yeah, it's one of those ones pennies. that's big enough to have, like, three people inside. Like, one controls <laughs> yes. the eyes, another controls the mouth. <laughs> the mouth has to be controlled with two hands like this. <laughs> yeah. We're pulling off a con on David Bowie! <laughs> I have ponies racing! <laughs> Who God, wants imagine- to bet on the ponies? Imagine I, a com- a com- I get to eat the loser! Nom, 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 nom. It's a pretty sweet deal. A straight-faced remake remake of this with, with Muppets. Muppets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No jokes whatsoever beyond what's already in there. Everything is just completely done without so, any fun. Anything. So we're not yeah. we're not even doing like the meme rule where like one person is still a human. Like everyone's Muppets. Everyone. Eileen Muppets, Brennan. Yeah. Eileen Brennan's character is the only human. The madam. <laughs> Or you get Michael Fassbender to be Doyle Lonigan. <laughs> that could be pretty good. Because I, I definitely want to see the Muppet burlesque show that they have. Because there's a burlesque show. <laughs> <laughs> They've tried multiple times without success to make adult Muppets a funny thing. But you know what? Mm. We talentless fucks could make it happen. Because <laughs> I, I want to see the chase scene of Robert Redford by a puppet Charles Durning up a up a subway tunnel. And like have a Muppet like literally get tossed up on top of the roof <laughs> of the shelter. Getting back to like the premise of the plot, and this is probably <laughs> one of many ways I will be losing both of you in my summation of the movie. Like the like Robert Redford's character, I already forgot his first name, Hooker. Johnny. Johnny Hooker is like the only character that I consistently enjoyed 
like really? whenever, he's, whenever he's on screen and like doing his grifter antics and stuff, like that held my attention a lot more than a lot of the other stuff in the movie. So that's the entire movie because he's in every scene pretty much. No, he no, he's not. No, he is not because there are so many scenes that just put the focus on these superfluous characters like the guy in the gray hat that I thought was John Cleese that just completely, like, I completely lose the plot just because it really just seems like nothing's happening a lot of the time. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. For, like, a modern parallel, I mean, like, not to not to fucking do this because I know you're going to be annoyed that I do, but if you take, like, an Oceans movie or something like that, that I think definitely is taking a lot of influence from this sort of thing, uh, they're like yes Clooney and Pitt are the stars of the movie they're not in every scene because there are so many other people involved along with the scheme that it focuses on and it has to focus on for a certain amount of time including the mark like there's a scene that presumably is like like of of supposed to be of consequence where they're introducing the guy who like gets his nose broken by the cop or something like that Joey Erie's like you you want to be in the crew and he's like yeah I I got it, I got it real bad and then he does he is completely inconsequential to the rest of the story cuz he's I mean, just another one of the just I guess group of street performers that they grab off the street in order to be like, oh, this is a fine establishment. It's not a con whatsoever. No, sir. Lil, do you know what a big con is? (laughs) (laughs) A big con is you need like 300 people to pull it off. Yeah, and he he did have lines. I mean, they they sent him to be the one that like probably in real life would have gotten the shit kicked out of him by Doyle. Okay, so the reason why I actually loved this movie as a kid, because I got so irritated where, like, the partner who used to work with the main character ends up turning on him. When I watched it the first time, I'm like, oh, that guy's going to turn on on Robert Redford. And he didn't. And I liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I actually had the same thought that he was going to turn on him. And, yeah. I, I also... Love at was the that end. the broken nose guy? Because yeah. I completely forgot all of that. Lils, his name is Joe Erie. You show some goddamn respect. So no, he was he was roughed up by a dirty cop going into it, who was basically saying like, "Oh yeah, if you ever catch wind of these guys again, you're gonna let me know." And then he went in and was kind of like timid when he was doing his interview. So I kind of assumed that he was going in and he was gonna rat them out. Charles Durning plays uh, the detective who is from Joliet, who's hot on the trail of. Robert Redford, because Robert Redford ripped him off, gave him $1,000 in counterfeit money. Mm. Oh, we didn't even go into why uh, uh, they're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, go for it. Well, no, you're you're my guest, and I'm your host. What are your pleasures? <laughs> so specifically, what when you say why they're in trouble... <laughs> There's that can mean a number of different things in this particular film. What are you? Why are they doing the con? So they're doing the con because it starts out with um it, it starts out with uh, Hooker and his buddy Luther Coleman. His, Luther Coleman, yeah, who is his mentor, played by uh, Robert Earl Jones. Who I it, it's always a pleasure to see him in something that's not Sleepaway Camp. Um, oh, that's he came, right. He's in Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, he's the he's the chef that didn't get a pot of boiling water tossed on him. Uh, yeah, so basically they just run like a simple scam against uh, against a, a rube, you could say, on the street, 
wherein basically they do some quick changing of money and send the guy on his way really quickly, thinking that he has $5,000 in his pocket. So he flees the scene, basically, thinking that he's just screwed these two idiots out of $5,000, when in actuality, they kind of did a little sleight of hand and took all of the money, his included. So it was it's called a pigeon drop, right? Yeah, or the handkerchief con. And his name is Matola, okay? Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, 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 sorry, I forgot about Matola. <laughs> yeah, everyone's favorite character. Matola, who gets a, a freaking knife in his eye. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it turns out that this fella is working for Doyle, who is uh, the, the big Mick, as we have already discussed. So he's I not someone that you I can't believe they call him with. that. Why? Because... It just proves that Robert Shaw is, is fearless. I mean, I I think that's one way of putting things, but it, it's also like Mick is not a big insult, really. Speaking as a Mick myself, it's like, you can call me that, and I'll probably fucking laugh with you. It's it's not the most hateful thing you can be calling someone. Back then, it was pretty bad. In the 30s? Maybe in the 30s, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Yeah, so basically they ended up, uh, the money that they stole from this fella ended up being uh, belonging to Doyle, who sent out some goons, including uh, a crooked cop named Snyder, uh, after after Hooker to try to, basically they wanted to take him out altogether. Wait, yeah, was, they, he, they, was he one of the, was he sent by, Do- by Doyle? No. Because I do not remember that. There's so no. much I don't remember happening. It, okay, so Snyder is in the Bunko squad. What he does is he plays the odds. When he hears that there's a hit on someone, the police are supposed to stop it, but but he is willing to do that for a price. Got, it. Wa- Got it. He wants the, the cut of the con. He wants to be a con man without doing any of the work is basically what it comes down to. Got it. Okay, so that actually makes a little bit more sense than what I was thinking and, and why they would have um, gone to the lengths that they did to ensure that he was taken care of in his own special way uh, in the course of the film. Yeah. I, j- I just assumed that, like, Charles Durning Man right there was... Durning Man! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome was to just... Durning Man! There's a woman in a unitard! <laughs> we, we all thought... go out to the desert and we watch When a Stranger Calls. <laughs> We go into the I, desert, we watch Hudsucker Proxy, we watch Tootsie. All the Durning classics. I literally thought he was just like just trying to catch just trying to catch Robert Redford like cuz he cuz he's a grifter and probably wanted from the law. No, he just wants the money. Yeah, they oh. es- they establish at different points that he's obviously kind of a scumbag like when he uh smashes your buddy's face into the table in that one scene. Okay, Guys, that... come on, his name is Joe Erie. Show some respect. That that at least makes sense of why like he does no fucking fact checking whatsoever. Yeah. Like yeah, I, that's that's another thing I couldn't get over. Like this doesn't come until later, but at one point we're introduced to like an FBI guy, and he literally just pulls him off the street and goes, "I'm from the FBI," and he just goes, "Okay, I'm Charles Durning." Well, of course he <laughs> he believed him because he had two guys in fucking um, boater hats. In boater hats. <laughs> I guess that's what FBI agents wore back then. I'm from the FBI, and these are my two barbershop quartet men. We're think- gonna get you, Mister Guy. Do you think- sing baritone? We need a baritone. Boom, 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 That's enough. bass. Get out of my sight. In general, I think that the the only thing that was really formal in the 30s was casual dress. 
Other than that, like you could just flash a badge at someone and they would probably just be like, oh shit, you're the president. I have to come with you. But they didn't even do that. There were no badges <laughs> oh, shit, or anything. You're the they, they flashed an FBI badge. <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't. Yeah, the first time they met Snyder, when he was sitting in a diner eating like a fucking monster, they walked up next to him <laughs> and they flashed. <laughs> Okay, great. I missed that too then. Do, yeah, the, may, maybe I just have the worst ADHD on the planet then. Well, no, it was great because he was eating like a monster. They came in. One of them flashed the badge to him at the counter. The badge admittedly was facing he away was, from the camera. He was eating like a Gondorf. Yes. And then they flashed the badge facing away from the camera. And then he just kind of nods and he sticks his hand into the water that he had been drinking from and just like kind of wipes both hands with it. <laughs> What if, what if when they come up to him and they're like, Detective Snyder, and he's like, go away, eating. <laughs> Detective Snyder, you can't have what is mine. I licked everything, you can't have it. See, the only difficulty with that is that they found him in a diner and not a torch lit cave. <laughs> <laughs> like in Solar Babies? <laughs> Was that was that too much of a deep dive for you? Oh no, I know Snor- uh, Solar Babies. Did you ever hear uh, Mel Brooks's interview with uh, Blake Snyder talking oh, yeah, about the production? Yeah. Of- oh, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> so so going back, this is like going to become like memento. Listening to this podcast, I'm sorry, everyone. This is going to be like watching a Christopher Nolan film because we're going to be <laughs> all over the fucking place. And Michael Caine's there for some reason. So you say that the con man. They burned down the forest. Not they going. burned down Paul Newman's whole house. Maybe he'll come There was later. a prostitute with a diamond the size of a tangerine. Someone's gone down this waitress right here in broad daylight, you see. There's a bullet hole right here in her brain. She was only 15 years old. She was only 15. Can I just like can I just like relay a very quick Michael Caine related anecdote? Well, no, he actually did turn down the role. There I was. The year was 1950. (laughs) No, I'm sure I've told. I think I might have told Scott this. I have definitely haven't told you this. Um, There was a uh, guy that we both mutually knew back in college at Fitchburg State, and at one point I was like just sort of taking a car ride with them. And I learned that they had a Michael Caine GPS. But here's the thing. Like, the directions were just a British voice. And then by the time it gets to your destination, it plays like a very badly coded Michael Caine voice clip that has nothing to do with driving whatsoever. Yo, Piggly Wiggly in the parking shark bitch. It's like, take a right turn here. Drive 500 feet. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wonder what kind of money he would make for that as opposed to like when Snoop Dogg went in and did like a full (laughs) session. I wonder if like they offer different packages and it's like, well, you can do our uh, Michael Caine package, which is $500 and you only have to say one sentence. And you know what? We have a microphone set up right over here. There's one built into the computer. We, you can just say it now, and we'll give you $500, and you can leave. You ever going to give up on me, Alfred? Never. <laughs> master Bruce, I can't watch you do this to yourself. <laughs> You're masturbating too much. 
You went into Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you playing with the smackle dickles. You're hitting the sample dipple. God, imagine Adam Sandler as Alfred. Master Booze, Gonna take the bed suit down off the hook. <laughs> okay, once again, getting off track. I'm very glad that Adam Sandler, I wanted him to get nominated for Hidden Gems. I did want him to get nominated for an Oscar. But if he did, he would have won. And he would have given his speech the same way he did it at the Independent Spirit Awards. Like he won a fucking Kids' Choice Award. <laughs> that is true. His speech at the Independent Spirit Awards, he did it like he won a Kids' Choice Awards. Everyone is very upset that they just lost to the same man. <laughs> you know who does an incredible Adam Sandler? Is uh, Janet Varney. Oh, seriously? Yeah, so... Really? There, yeah, there's a show called The Worst Idea of All Time, and it's these two New Zealand comedians who watched... Uh, each season, they do a different movie, but they started by doing <laughs> Grown Ups 2 once a week for a year. They watch the movie and then record a podcast about it immediately afterwards. So, like, the idea... I don't know what the idea was going into it, but by the end of it, like their eyes could not focus on the main parts of the movie because they had seen it so many times. So they're getting hyper-focused on background characters and they would start developing like stories for them <laughs> and backstories and whatnot. At the end of the first season, the two of them actually penned their own script for Grown Ups 2 based on memory. And it's astonishingly good, but they did a table read of it in LA when they were here on tour at the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, Janet Varney did Adam Sandler in it. And, like, a bunch of good people are on it, like Kate Micucci and, like, a few others. Uh, so, yeah, they just do this table read, and it's fucking incredible. <laughs> I cannot recommend it enough. It's mm. called uh, The Worst Table Read of All Time. <laughs> Back to the sting. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. We're 45 minutes yes. in. The year is 1915. <laughs> so, so, basically, uh, when he meets uh, Paul Newman for the first time, Paul Newman actually was drunk. <laughs> well, he was completely okay. passed out. That tracks. But in in the filming, like he was actually like Oh, he was actually like hammered. Oh yeah, because the thing that he does with the ice in the the tub or yeah. the ice in the sink, <laughs> Newman's like this is my hangover method and he basically <laughs> did what he did in real life. That's absolutely insane. If that's your hangover method, I don't know what to tell you because you're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so so I knew someone who was who knew Paul Newman and he's like so Scott I heard your favorite actor of all time is Paul Newman do you want to hear a story about him I'm like yes please <laughs> and and he's like I once told Paul Newman he's a beautiful man and I asked how his skin is so perfect and I was like Yes. <laughs> this seems like something that will only result in an interesting answer. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he drinks like 12 six-packs of beer and then goes into a sauna and sweats it out. Oh, God. That's real bad for you. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, was you're... the 60s. <laughs> it doesn't change it. I mean, he's um, he probably provided all of the pickling for the Newman's own products. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me so much of that, you know, that famous anecdote about how, like, Spencer Tracy would just spend a weekend just sitting oh, in a bathtub God. with just hard liquor all weekend. Yeah, so he wouldn't have to leave it when he, like, shit or piss or anything. It's fucking disgusting, and you know? Like, mm. it's horrible. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, it's, it's 
Yeah, I mean, celebrities have mental health issues, and it's very important that we're able to have conversations about it. And Spencer Tracy is a, a clear example of why, full of why we have done a really shitty job of that sort of thing traditionally. <laughs> so when Robert Redford finds Paul, like, was he working at that car? Like, he was working at that carnivaly kind of thing, right? Okay, so so on one side of of this factory in Chicago. It is a fun house for kids. There's arcades. There's a merry-go-round. There was and, not arcades in the 1930s, 40s. Yes, yeah, that that's how Hooker so, became famous. Like, like Hooker's character was hustling pinball in arcades. For, was pinball for, even invented back then? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, ar- arcades predate what have colloquially become known as arcade games. Arcades have been around since like the probably at least like the nineteen very early nineteen hundreds, right? Nineteen tens. Yeah, because like Revere Beach in Massachusetts was one, but also like that's Coney Island and in, in the boardwalk and Salem, in Atlantic City, Salem Willows, Sa- Salem Willows, Salem Willows is still there. It's oh, a little yeah. sad, but but it's still fun to go there. Yeah, like they had merry-go-round game, <laughs> merry-go-rounds, and like different <laughs> merry-go-round <laughs> games. <laughs> Just cartoon characters riding <laughs> merry-go-rounds, beating the shit out of each the other. Shittiest race of all time. Yeah, uh, Salem Willows is great though because you can go there and play the Simpsons game. Mm. And that's always fun. I think so, they have Turtles in Time too. Oh yeah. Yeah, they do. Anyways, yeah, do so Eileen Brennan runs a brothel and an arcade. What if she that's, mixes those two up? Th- I was gonna say those. Those are the games for the adults. <laughs> What what does what does Snyder call it? A joy house. <laughs> That's fun. Be- because uh, Durning goes looking for him uh, in the brothel that Eileen Brennan's running, and he's like, "I'm looking for someone," and she's like, "Here, have a free drink," and she pours beer into a fucking shot glass. <laughs> Is 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 that not how you drink beer? <laughs> well, that's that, the free is that a drink. Power move. <laughs> yes, it was a power move, Lils. It was a used beer. <laughs> I'm looking for someone to eat. Ah, <laughs> uh, Snyder and the Gondorf. Oh my God, we just created a Jim Henson movie, Snyder and the Gondorf. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I love the assemble the assembly of uh all the con men because the scene leading leading up to it they're at the merry-go-round that apparently gondorf knows how to fix a merry-go-round he knows how to con people and he knows how to fix a merry-go-round well they usually go hand in hand that's why so many uh confidence men uh cut their teeth so to speak as carnies great <laughs> but yeah, i mean that's that's categorically not true i'm making up bullshit at this point but it sounds like a real fact honestly <laughs> it's plausible lils do you remember why in high school we weren't allowed to have carnivals uh gambling no because our our freshman year or my freshman year before your freshman year the year before you came to the high school a carney slept with five girls and got them all pregnant <laughs> Ooh, Whoa. I did not know that. Of age? Yeah, they were seniors. <laughs> Wait, no. You did not answer weren't. my question, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> two of them weren't. Holy shit. <laughs> One carny. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, oh man, can't they just have like fired that carny and brought the the carnival back? He owned the carnival. <laughs> you did not say that. <laughs> oh, no, you, you didn't. Led, you led me to believe that that was just a guy who fixes merry-go-rounds. <laughs> yes, if you own the if you own the carnival, you fix the merry-go-rounds when they break down. Yeah. Yeah, you do a lot of things when you own the carnival. You did not say he owned the carnival. You said it was a carny. So there's this like maniac carny who's going around trying to just impregnate people regardless whether or not they're of age, which is fucking horrifying. And you just like, oh yeah, he was just some carny. Maybe I should cut this part out. <laughs> Remember the part where you said it was going to be you and Christopher teaming up on me and now... We're just driving Scott over a precipice. <laughs> I told you, by the end of this, you'll be holding my arms down and beating the shit out of me. Ah, <laughs> uh, do me next. <laughs> you have glasses. Yeah, they're they're just like anti-glare glasses, though, so don't worry about that. Yeah, I, I love how when he's assembling all of these con men, uh, before that, he goes... Um, you're scared of Doyle Lonigan. And the line that I quote the most from Paul Newman is, right down to my socks, buster. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good response for a lot of things. Once again, though, all these people that Paul Newman just happens to know get no real introduction and are pretty much just background characters for the rest of the film, even though there's like this, like it's shot in such a way that's just like, oh, the dream team has arrived. Yes, Lils, the fucking dream team has arrived. One of them is a Martian, for fuck's sake. How can you not think that's yeah. a dream team? You have J.J. Singleton, you have Eddie the Nose, you have Kid Twist, fuck you. Grant Hill, Eddie you Hardaway. Have, you also have Ray Walston, who is my favorite Martian. Yes, he's J.J. Singleton. <laughs> he's not just a Martian, he's my favorite Martian. Okay, I will say that when... When one of the guys quits, when Eddie quits uh, his job at the bank, he has a very respectable job at a bank, and he's going to basically give it all up for Henry Gondorf. He, he basically tells a woman to go fuck herself. You don't hear what he says, but he just looks at her, and he's just like, know what? Fuck you, and walks up, then goes to his boss and goes, I quit, and then walks away. Do you remember those commercials uh, for Oprah when Oprah was like not the massive conglomerate that she is now, but was a, a growing force in popularity? Uh, and there was this song about Oprah's on, and that was the commercial. And it was different people experiencing the time of day that Oprah was on, but they had forgotten. So one woman was at like a bank window, and she was like trying to do something, and the teller like has this look of shock and pulls down a shade. Excuse me pulls down a shade that says Oprah's on and the woman who is waiting in line throws her arms in the air and turns towards the camera and runs. <laughs> That's cult behavior. <laughs> well, this is kind of cult behavior because everyone gives up their jobs to work. It, it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, I was, I'm was. i thinking it's kind of a similar sort of situation. I, I do love the line when he's like, New are we going to put... Are we going to put a team together? And he's like, I don't know how many guys I'm going to get. I'm probably only going to get two or 300. <laughs> That's Hold not on. a lot of people. Let me get a few people to, you know, quit their jobs for no good reason. Yeah, because they, they only make $500,000, which back then, that's a ton of money. But you Yeah, have like... 
Yeah, I mean that's nine point two million dollars today. I did some uh, some ex- some currency evaluations during. I this mean as that's well. still like split between that many people. I don't imagine it's gonna amount to a whole lot because it's being I, like, I hey, think people you want to lose percentages. Like, it's like, hey, you want to lose months and months of work for two thousand dollars. Yeah, but you're forgetting that inflation didn't just hit the worth of the dollar. It also hit what things actually cost, too. So in addition to, yeah, it's it's going to cost more for a product, it also has just tacked on more money to the cost of a product in addition to that. So a gallon of milk comparatively probably would have cost like a dollar by today's standards back then. So it would have been like five cents or something like that. But everything's going I think going milk was like a ex- penny. Yeah, I'm just saying like right. things have gotten way out of proportion in terms of what the what the profit margin is on it these days in addition mm. to um just the general inflation as well. Fair. Also, I think um you said that they're going to give up their job for months. How long do you think this takes place? Like like what do you think the span of time is? I don't know. It's, it's got to be at least because no. it really didn't give me any inkling of how much time has passed, unless it, it really is about, just like a couple of days. It's about two weeks. It's about a okay. week, two weeks. So it has to be more than a couple of days because they put together an actual fully furnished bookie place. Yeah, <laughs> that is convincing. Yeah. So that that alone, I would I'd say you can't do that in less than a week. They do because they have to. He's only in town. Lonigan's only in town for two weeks. Maybe they did this in uh, a week and a half. Sure. <laughs> okay. I'm more willing to believe that. <laughs> but it's so not I- like months. It's not months that they're giving up. Also, I love how everyone apparently knew Luther, but at the beginning of the movie, Luther's like, no one knows who I am. And they're like, I knew- Luther was a good man. He was a great con man. Yes, everyone knows Luther. That that is one thing I picked up on. Uh, is it's really strange how many people knew him, considering he was basically just like, "Oh, I'm I'm anonymous. No one will ever find me." <laughs> and uh, poor Luther. Uh, also, my my one of my favorite lines in this movie is when at the beginning of the movie, he spends all of his money. So his his take in the the con at the beginning, ripping off Lonigan, was. Three thousand dollars, and he spends it in under an hour. <laughs> he uh, loses. Uh, well, no, he he spent it in under a minute. If you really want to boil it down. <laughs> yeah, we we skip the burlesque scene too. I mean, it was barely there. It it was it was more of a set piece than a scene. I would say more uh, like because... her clothes were barely there. Hi yo, hey yo, bazing. Yeah, that was some uh, that was some great nineteen uh, thirties erotica right there. Yeah, but but the vaudeville joke, the guy who is in the middle of all of these acts is like, yes, and then the wife turns to him and says, "See one, you've seen a hundred. <laughs> yeah, but this one's eating my popcorn." <laughs> that old chestnut joke. You suck. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I just want to hear like a dry cough. <coughs> <laughs> So after after the whole group sits around the table and, and discusses their plan, I really, really enjoyed the whole train sequence. That's uh, my favorite scene in the entire movie. Uh, yeah, the whole, yeah, just the, the game was excellent, and then the follow-up was excellent. But I, I, I had a genuine LOL here, um, and that's laugh out loud for, uh, for all of you old people who are listening, not like us kids. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> and yeah, no, I actually had one of those in this. Uh, and that was when he stumbled into the game 
uh, quote unquote drunk. I was taking said, a crap. Sorry, I'm late. I was taking a crap. <laughs> and for some reason, Paul Newman in like that period get up, like entering that scenario, saying that phrase, just it it tickled me the right way. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I had a nice little guffaw at that. <laughs> you let out a gashry like you wouldn't believe. The thing about that scene and future scenes with uh, Donegan and Robert Redford's character that the name I is Lonegan. I could Defala. not take de- <laughs> that. I could not take my eyes off of his right hand man who's with him in like all the scenes. That's looks Floyd. Like Flea. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned because I have a note that says "Not Flea, the hired goon," and I looked him up. His name's Charles Deerkop. <laughs> I love Charles Deerkop. He's still making movies today, guys. Yeah, he was one of the few people involved in this that are is you, still alive. Are you sure about that, Scott? <laughs> yes. Or is he playing bass for the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Give it away, give it away, give it away now. <laughs> hey, he was in Back to the Future Part 2 and 3, all right? <laughs> <laughs> McFly, maybe you're yellow. <laughs> he was also in The, the Chase. Place, McFly. <laughs> he was also in The Chase with Charlie Sheen and Kirstie Swanson. Yeah, he's in a ton of shit. We don't have to go through his filmography right now. Mm. I think but, if, but if you're trying to if you're trying to keep us on track of the sting, let's not talk about Flea's filmography. Yes, but Charles get... Deerkop was also in um, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, which is why George Roy Hill and Paul Newman and Redford wanted to work with him again. Yeah, right. yeah. He played but yeah, let's, let's get back to the train scene with Lloyd Donegan and time traveling <laughs> Flea. I'm just very glad that I am not the only one who saw him as Flea. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but that... the poke the poker game was great uh, because I liked how basically, depending on which direction the camera was facing, you were watching either a comedy or a really really tense moment. <laughs> And I really enjoyed that because it was go back, it'd go back and forth. I'd kind of like giggle a little bit, then it would turn back to Robert Shaw, and I'd be like, "Ugh." I want Lils to explain what the the whole con is to get to get Lonigan hooked. I want to I want to see because <laughs> no, I can't explain the whole con. I know it has something to do with betting on horses, and that's all I know. Like betting on horses and then basically just forcing him out of the out of the building. I believe they're called the ponies, but that's that's okay. <laughs> so it's a synonym. Chris, do you want to explain what the con is? Well, the initial con is that they're just trying to fucking piss him off as much right. as humanly possible. So uh, had so this was a part that was really really jarring for me in that um, uh, Paul Newman's. Uh, alias in the scene was Shaw. So Doesn't Robert that Shaw, fuck you up? <laughs> Robert Shaw is sitting there and he's be like, well, Mr. Shaw. And I'd be like, who are you talking to? <laughs> Bobby Shaw went crazy. <laughs> I am going to be in a movie called Jaws, do you know? <laughs> yes, you are, Mr. Shaw. <laughs> Imagine if he could see the future for the last few years of his life and that was the burden that he had to live with. <laughs> Do you know what I think he would say to that? Delicious. When do we start? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no. Um, basically, he's he's having a high stakes poker game on a train that is Chicago bound, and quote unquote Shaw, wink wink, Henry Gondor, Gondor. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, my bad. <laughs> gotta gotta keep that consistent. The Gondor uh, goes. Yeah, goes in. <coughs> um, has had some of his people analyze how. Uh, 
how Doyle plays poker and how he cheats more specifically so that he can out-cheat him and win as much money as humanly possible from him as well as making a fool out of him. How did they find this out? So if this is the first time you're going to be asking for suspension of disbelief, I think that I'm going to have to call foul on you because there there have been a few parts of this film already where we've had to do that. Quiet, oh, you. no kidding. It's like, Shut of up. course they were able to find out how he plays poker, and of course he was able to get them all together like in record time and find where they were all exactly located. Yeah, Scott, you're being like those people who get nitpicky about new Star Wars movies. It's like, okay, you haven't been nitpicky for the past 41 years? You haven't found something to criticize in that time? <laughs> guys, this is my favorite movie of all time, and this is my birthday month. You're supposed to be nice to me. Oh, yeah, you guys are supposed to be giving me shit by this point. <laughs> <laughs> guys, why are you pinning me down? <laughs> oh, man. Chris is spreading his butt cheeks and he's going to fart on my face. For the record, I would not do that to another human. Not now, not at any point in my life. Well, I can't say Lils is going to do that. She's a lady. <laughs> we have to be gentlemen. Speaking of gentlemen, back I mean, to the you con. Could, you could also have picked a different form of torment besides that alarmingly specific one. <laughs> <laughs> not that that happened to me at camp. Got painfully quiet. <laughs> I literally just like the poker sting sing it scene in the sting. That almost came out correct. But that actually happened at summer camp. Someone farted on me. Oh god. People are fucking animals. <laughs> That's how I got pink eye. <sighs> really? Or? I'm not kidding. Oh god. <laughs> oh no. I was twelve. Uh, and I was getting ready for my bar mitzvah, too. <laughs> you know what Pink Eye does? Stings. Anyway. <laughs> Chris is cringing. <laughs> I'm trying awful. so hard to rewrite this derailed train. Speaking of the train, why is the conductor conducting this game and not, you know, conducting the train? The train? <laughs> Wait, that was the conductor conducting yes, the game? That was the conductor. No, I, it wasn't a conductor. He was wearing a police uniform. No, they said they said that the train conductor runs the poker game. Oh, okay. Well, my bad. I'm the asshole. Everything about this alternate 40s timeline is psychotic. 30s. Well, like I said, the only thing that is formal is the casual wear. Everything else is pretty fucking loose. Those fucking suits, I gotta say. Redford's suit. Damn. He was poured into it. Yeah. <laughs> I also love the scene when they're they're like my fair lady, they're pretty woman him. They're getting him all gussied yeah. up and and he's getting the, the pedicure. He's like, I don't like this and then he's like, Hey, I'm gonna fuck that lady. Yeah, and she wasn't interested. She really wasn't. The look of pain on her face. <laughs> so uh one what I have, I have several notes of things that uh, that I do want to call attention to that I really enjoyed. Uh, so Robert Redford, when filming this, was about my age, the age that I am now in this time in space. And for starters, looking at him, that's horrifying. I have made so many poor choices in my life to be the way I am as opposed to the way that he was. But one thing that would absolutely just shatter me as a physical human being... <laughs> is the jump that he did 
down the stairs from his apartment. <laughs> when he realized that someone was in his apartment looking for him, he decides to just jump over the railing and down a flight of stairs. I've done and that before. Yeah, no, I've done it before too. I haven't done it when I'm 37 years old. <laughs> he he said that he he felt like he was just running for most of this movie and he didn't really act. And so when he lost the Oscar, George Roy Hill got a golden statue of the Roadrunner and said, <laughs> Robert Redford, greatest running on camera, making it that's look easy. Good. Yeah, that's it's it's nice when people who have money and are cool people do fun things. <laughs> then Robert Redford took a chainsaw. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually that, that came... Shortly before the uh, the train ch- uh, the train station chase, which was also fucking just a delight. And watching watching Durning run. <laughs> oh, he he looked like he was going to die. <laughs> I wish there was a scene for twenty minutes of after chasing him. He was just like. <sighs> just grabbing his side, like. <sighs> Why does he have to run so fast? Why couldn't he run past a couple of hot dog carts? The way that you you formally said he looked like he was going to die made me think of like thinner. It made me think that like some Eastern European woman bumped into him outside and she dropped all of her turnips and she just went to him and like laid her finger on his face and was like, you are going to die now. And like laid some hex on him. Fatter. Fatter. Movies with Carol Kane. <laughs> Tootsie. Tootsie. <laughs> so I, I love... The point uh, is he's terribly out of shape. <laughs> okay, so there's a few twists in this movie. Did you see them coming? Um, You'd have to be more specific. Okay, so in the poker scene, did you see the twist of him? Because that, that poker game, when he has... Uh, four threes and the, and uh, Shaw's like Robert Shaw or Lonigan is like four nines and he's like four jacks. I mean, I kind of had a feeling that he was going to win it just so like that would be like the way for the audience to see like, oh, he's the real deal. Like he knows his stuff. I mean, I guess I didn't see it coming that that was the specific way he was going to win. It was just like, oh, he did that, and we didn't get to see how he did it. Yeah, uh, that one I saw coming as well. What's what's your next twist? (laughs) Well, should I go to the very end? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are multiple twists. Are there any in between that we missed? Um... Well, he, I will he, say I didn't see coming the fact that the lady he sleeps with and then is never characterized for the rest of the movie was going to kill him. That I didn't see either. Yeah, so... Although that wasn't a twist as much as they we didn't have enough information for it. So you find out that there's another hitman. Lonigan gets pissed that these two guys couldn't kill Hooker. So um, he hires Selino, which the entire movie you see someone from a car with gloves on and you think that's Selino, and then it turns out that it's the woman who works in the diner who has the hots for Robert Redford, but she only has the hots for him because she wants to kill him. Yeah, here's a thing that I could not get over, because like a through line throughout the movie is there's like this hitman guy, like presumably working for Lonigan, 
that keeps on almost killing Hooker, but he keeps on getting away. But at the same time, Lonigan has no idea that, like, he's just, like, right there conning him in front of his face. Because he's never seen Hooker's face. But at no point does, like, that other mafia guy just go back to report no, to Lonigan? No, because remember, remember what Lonigan said. Um, they said that that guy's not going to like being pulled off and Salino's taking over and uh, Lonigan goes, he can do whatever he wants, but he doesn't work for me anymore. And Salino's not going to like it. Well, and the other thing, too, is that if they just tell him that, they don't get a bounty. So plausibly, they're going to want to make the kill, just regardless, even if he's hanging out with Doyle all the time. Right. Mm. So um, the, the biggest twist at the end of the movie is that, did you see them getting shot and killed? I mean, I didn't quite see that coming, but at the same time, I sort of had in the back of my head, oh, this is going to be a big fake-out because there's no way that the movie would just kill them off. And that the FBI turning out also to be con men? Yeah, that is one of the dumbest fake-outs I've ever seen. I'm oh, not going to lie. Great. So the FBI one, I didn't get. I didn't uh, assume that he was a con man. I just assumed he was an FBI guy in on it with them. He was a crooked FBI guy. Um, but yeah, other than that, I kind of, I kind of saw it all. Well, fuck you guys. I was 12. <laughs> yeah, no, we're two adults that saw this as adults for the first time. So. Yeah, now you're we're... picking on a little boy. Yeah, we're jaded, <laughs> bitter, and cynical. Yeah. Yeah, life really just left us behind. Mm. <laughs> but al- also they set it up to make you think that, um, Redford is like being torn up inside because he's about to turn on, on, um, what's his name? Newman. Uh, Newman. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, that that was something I didn't see going into it because he actually did a pretty good job to me of conveying that he was, he was torn by it. There were multiple points in it where you you had a situation going where it, it was clear that he was kind of torn up about something, like the bit where they exchanged that glance after uh the black gloved man and he walk into the walk into the speakeasy uh or actually it's it's more of an otb it's it's off yeah. track betting yeah you so know when, me yeah <laughs> when they walk in there uh and they have that exchange that's the point to me where it was really like eh, maybe maybe this is a real fbi person that was the only time that i really thought that cuz i i love the line when they're basically Snyder gets Hooker, brings him to the FBI, and they're like, you're going to rat on on, um, on Paul Newman. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he goes, if you don't, we're going to torture Luther's widow. And he goes, you stink, mister. <laughs> <laughs> you dick. Well, that was, that was uh, the equivalent of like an F-bomb back then. Yeah. You're a stinky, stinky man. You watch your mouth. <laughs> this is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I love the the um the slang swears that they do in this movie. Like at the beginning of the movie, when he says "butt out chicken liver," or my favorite is "suck an egg." I think the fact that there was so much like old timey slang made the fact that Paul Newman said, "Sorry, I'm late. I was just taking a crap." Land all the more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that is part of it as well. Uh, one thing I really appreciated <laughs> was at uh was it was it Wells Fargo or uh, what was the uh, 
Western the, Union. Western Union. That's what I'm thinking of. Thanks. Yeah, fuck Wells Fargo. Um, <laughs> the um, the the room that they left in there, the office that they left with like some of a wall painted green, and they just <laughs> left it there as that. That also made me laugh. <laughs> I did. I, I did like that. I wish. I wish Ray Walston just wrote "fuck you." <laughs> oh, no, also, he'd, no, he'd write "you stink." <laughs> <laughs> Suck an egg. Uh, and, and my third and final laugh out loud uh, of of the film <laughs> was when Hooker ran the wrong way out of the diner. So after he was trying to avoid the hitman, and he first went into uh, went out the um, had the hitman follow him into the back and then misled him to go out into the alley. When Hooker came out onto the street, he just blindly started running in one direction and got halfway to the hitman before he realized, oh, shit, this is the wrong way, and then turned around and ran again. Also, for him to pick up that manhole cover, he wouldn't be able to do that in time. Is that true of old-timey manhole covers? I think so. Because, yeah, I don't I don't know. Because I don't know if that's something that they changed. Because I'm going to get dark here for a second. But that strikes me as like You don't the kind say. Of <laughs> that strikes me as the kind of thing that they would have... Um, enforced by law following some sort of tragedy. Like someone easily got into the sewer and hurt themselves or worse. We were just looking for the four turtles and their father. <laughs> the rat. <laughs> the rat, yeah. Oh, here's a twist that didn't come till years later. So did you recognize the pharmacy at all? No. Was that... Was that... From the beginning of Untouchables? No, that pharmacy, um, that pharmacy is the diner from Back to the Future. Oh, really? interesting. Yeah, that's where George McFly met his future son. Interesting. They Neat. didn't really change that much. They and where Marty it. McFly met Elijah Wood. Once again, another connection to Flea. Yes, it's just this film is riddled with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I thought it was um I I I would have thought it was the diner from the beginning of Untouchables when you know the one where um uh, the guy leaves the briefcase behind and a little girl picks it up and's like, Mister, you forgot your briefcase. And then that's when Al Capone started doing some domestic terrorist stuff. It is because that's also a Universal movie, but oh, so <coughs> it is the same spot. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> never bring a gun to a knife fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Annie Hoosel. <laughs> and yeah, that film is riddled with flea references. Don't you remember the part where Paul Newman pulls his head out of the sink while he's hung over and goes, hoop day, hoop day, hoop day, day, hoop day. <laughs> My favorite part is when uh, he's listening to uh, uh, Jagged Little Pill and realizes that You Ought to Know was written by Flea. Just the, you know, bass part. Yeah, the album cut features Flea and Dave Navarro, who was with the Chili Peppers at that point in time. And Taylor mm -hmm. Hawkins. Yes, because he was uh, Alanis' drummer at that point. Yes, That's, he was. Uh, it's a strange world. <laughs> so one thing, uh, another thing that I liked about this movie a lot is that injuries healed at a natural rate. Oh, yeah, like like uh, Joe Erie's nose. <laughs> His nose was going at a regular clip, and uh, more to the point... Um, that little scuff on Robert Redford's face. Yes, Hooker's face went like in a totally natural progression over the course of like when time passed, you could tell a little bit time had passed, but it didn't disappear. Yeah. I thought that they did a, a really, really good job of that. Yeah, George Roy Hill loves authenticity. Like, Yeah. Well, um, yeah, you, you can tell because he, he name-checked a racetrack 
that uh, used to be about 10 miles away from my house at one point. They were talking about Rockingham Racetrack in Salem, uh, New Hampshire. Nice. They also mentioned Suffolk Downs. Ah, nice. Yes, yes. Uh, I also, we haven't even talked about Curly Jackson. He's the con, con man who's like, my specialty is an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, is he the he guy who has good. that fake beard on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah his his... his Englishman, his British accent is the worst. He goes, who the bloody blazes is blue now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked him a lot. And he, he made himself front and center at one point, too. He was just like, oh, I'm, I'm doing a good job, so I'm going to go sit right next to the mark and keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, he also tells Joey, he's like, put this on your nose. Also, I love, I love his background story of him. He's like... Uh, I, n- I never mess with Riff Raff, and I only drink on the weekends. Well, asshole, this con is being done on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. We're going on a Saturday. <laughs> what makes the whole British thing extra funny to me is I've been binging Always Sunny with Philadelphia, and I just watched uh, The Gang Saves the Day last night. So I have that, like... That scene where, like, Dee is just sort of imagining herself as the British butler show yes. in my head. <laughs> Welcome back to Always Sunny with Philadelphia. <laughs> I knew you were going to call her out on that. <laughs> well, fuck, if I'm going to get called out for the Stephen King, which I know I didn't say, I'm definitely going to call her out on Always Sunny with Philadelphia. <laughs> that, that sounds like a talk show. Yeah, welcome I'm back ver- to Always Sunny with Philadelphia. I am Philadelphia Hawkins, and here's the sports. <laughs> Hi, I'm Pennsylvania Pete. <laughs> and we'll be back with a new chili recipe and the ultimate Philly cheesesteak. I'm Flea, and I'm here, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Also, we haven't even talked about Eileen Brennan, the only female lead in this movie. Yeah, I mean, calling her a lead, I think, is generous. Yeah, pretty much all she's there to do is give Paul Newman drinks and just kind of roll her eyes. Um, She also fucks Paul Newman. Yeah, she fucks him at one point. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that that's three things. Yeah. Damn it, Lils. <laughs> also, yeah, I mean, this certainly passed the Bechtel test <laughs> with those three items. <laughs> hey, yeah, my favorite my favorite part is when her and uh, Selena are talking about killing people in the bar and how to run your brothel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, there are no female role models in this. I would say. That's oh, actually, you know what? Maybe um, maybe Coleman's family. Oh, Alma. Yeah. And yeah. his 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 daughter, I'm guessing. What about like, all those fine. what about all those prostitutes run, riding the merry-go-round? We haven't even talked about that. We haven't talked about them, but we also didn't really meet them, so I can uh I can't attest I to mean, their character. But they at least a... look like they at least look like they were having fun. Yeah, there's a scene where prostitutes are riding a merry-go-round. <laughs> and the yeah, look I mean, on the... Newman's face is like I did a good thing. I brought joy to those hookers. <laughs> Without doing anything sexual. Or did he? Jesus. Um, so as we get to the end of the movie, I, I love, so, oh, fuck. We're not even at the end because I didn't realize we didn't even talk about the, the actual, their, their con. So what they do with Lonigan is they're like, okay, so I get this information from Western Union. He's going to call you with these numbers of what horse to bet on, and then you bet on the horse. 
the the con is that they show him how to get the money once, then they lock him out, and then he's like, "Give me all the money." <laughs> so he puts in five hundred thousand dollars of his own money, and nine point two million once again in today's dollars. He's a very bad gambler. Okay, would you? Yeah, know- we've we've only seen him fucking fail at gambling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a bad gambler. Well, we also know that. If someone said place it on uh uh Lucky Dan <laughs> you would you would say Lucky Dan to win, right? Not place, not to place. Are you referring to the last bet that he did incorrectly? Yeah. Yeah, uh so I I I'm no gambler myself. Uh I'm not like a like one of your Jim Schultzes or something like that. But <laughs> Very I, good. Great. Now I, Jim is never going to come on this podcast. Thanks a lot, Chris. <laughs> if if I were uh, if I were going to be gambling on something, I would probably check what was going on with the gamble like seven times before committing any money because that is the kind of person I am. <laughs> Let alone if I was betting nine point two million dollars on something, I would probably double check. I mean, if you think about it, the whole extent of their con is like they spend all this time just for him to go like, here's my money. Thanks, shove. Yep. I I also love when after Give they- Give me back my money. <laughs> no. After they, after they get the money, the, the FBI comes in and then Lonigan realizes, oh man, I just got conned. And he's like, I'm going to kill those guys. And then they kill each other. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was in terms of 1930s logic. I think it was about as airtight as it gets. Well, the look on Snyder's face when when Hooker's dead, he actually felt bad. <laughs> well, it was the the lovable little scamp, you know. He he thought one day he'd scare some sense into him that one day, you know, maybe he'd become a cop too. That well, would th- one there day is that line cop. where where he goes, "Have you seen Hooker lately?" And he goes, "He he uh, enlisted in detective school." Um, they made a sequel to this movie and it's actually if The Sting is my favorite movie of all time The Sting 2 is one of my least favorite movies of all time yeah I've heard that's not very good I didn't know that existed okay so they couldn't get Newman they couldn't get Redford and they couldn't get Robert Shaw so they got Jackie Gleason uh huh and all of the characters are not the characters from the original movie. They they have similar sounding names, but it's like a multiverse thing. They did finally get Oliver Reed, though. Yes, Oliver Reed was pissed when him because he wanted to be in the Sting. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. They got John Hancock. Yeah. How did they get him to sign on the line? Um, because this movie won seven Oscars. Oh come on! You didn't get the joke. <laughs> was Charles Durning in the sequel? No. Uh, does not appear so. No, mm. he wasn't. Literally, the only literally all is... I know about there being a sequel is from that one Simpsons, Simpsons episode yeah. where Grandpa goes, this grift is from The Sting Part 2, so nobody knows about it. <laughs> God, Jackie Gleason, man. That was a comedian for a time, huh? Yeah, well, okay, so... The reason why that movie didn't do well, they're like, we got the original screenwriter. Yeah, that's great, but if you don't have the original director, your movie's going to suck. 
And the thing about George Roy Hill is he wanted it to feel like a 1930s movie. That's why it's edited like a 30s movie. That's why it's costumed like a 30s movie. They couldn't even get... the lighting. Yeah, even the lighting. The the other movie looked way too polished. It looked like an 80s movie. Like it was just garbage. Instead of Scott Joplin, it was soundtracked by Duran Duran. <laughs> and you're hungry like the con. He, uh, he, so the screenwriter, David S. Ward, he's written a couple things that are pretty good, though. Yeah. Major League is fun. I enjoyed that. But once again, that's the director who directed Major League also has had hits. Yeah, and uh, other things he has written include King Ralph. Ugh. <laughs> Down Periscope. <laughs> well, isn't that just a sterling resume? I used to go into uh, fanfiction.net and, <laughs> and copy, go on. Wiki- copy Wikipedia uh, descriptions of movies and TV shows <laughs> and just switch names in it to be the names of characters <laughs> from something and would post it and people would give honest feedback to it and it would just break my heart. Because <laughs> I, I, posted, I posted the... Um, the the plot synopsis of King Ralph. You can look this up if you want uh, on on fanfiction.net. And I changed all the names so that it was about Ben from Lost. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just talking about an adventure that Ben had prior to his time on the island. <laughs> I like this con very much. Oh, pl- please, please tell me that you <laughs> you're gonna do it with the sting and make it like an episode of Alias. <laughs> Just take the plot of the Sting and replace everyone with like the cast of the Snorks. <laughs> I, I I should probably tell you now. I haven't done this in probably ten years. So. <laughs> there is an episode of Community where they do the Sting in season six, and Matt Berry plays the grifting one hundred and one professor. Who did Matt Berry? Matt Berry. Oh, very good, very good. Laszlo yeah, he... from What We Do in the Shadows. This is how you do a grift. <laughs> He's like, what you need to do is you need to put a suitcase down and have it filled with $100 bills. Then someone with another $100 bill suitcase comes and you have the real $100 bill suitcase. <laughs> Bet! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as we come come to the end of this episode, your thoughts? Will's after you. Uh, okay. She's like, fuck, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> I mean, I've already pretty much made clear all of my problems, like, with the movie. It didn't prevent me from disliking the movie. Like, I was thoroughly entertained by parts of it, but on the whole, like... I mean, listening to you guys just sort of talk so much more dispassionately about it really just sort of makes me think that maybe I just sort of missed out on some stuff in my initial viewing... And like I said, I'm not a movie person, so you you two both clearly are, so there's probably just some level of enjoyment you guys had that I couldn't really get around. But... It's just so much fun. <laughs> oh, there were fun parts, yes, but I felt like there was also a lot of fluff. Well, that's the great part of the movie. <laughs> Chris? <laughs> uh, I really, really liked this. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. And uh, I actually watched it today because I forgot to last night and I spent my time watching guys' grocery games instead. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, I'm glad I watched it. Um, It was a harrowing thing getting it in dinner in time to, to, to be here in time. But it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, even though I was slightly stressed out that it wouldn't be over in time. And I'm going to watch it again because I do think that I missed some things from it. 
Yeah, you you actually watched it, unlike our goon friend Patrick. Damn it, yeah, Pat. no. I I made it work. Um, Patrick just went and fucking ate McDonald's instead. So I mean, doesn't know care about my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, when is your birthday? Uh, it's in uh two weeks. Okay. Two weeks from today. To th- oh, two weeks from today. Okay, cool. Because mine is uh twelve days from today. Oh, nice. Wait, yeah. is today Tuesday or Wednesday? Today is Tuesday. Tuesday. Two weeks from tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so mine is still 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's in November. Well, well we're Gemini boys. <laughs> yeah, Gemini boys. Gonna have <laughs> our we solve crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Scott oh, and man, Chris are is- the Gemini boys. <laughs> Uh, that is, sounds like an incredible sketch. Just two dudes in their thirties who are unmarried and like they live by themselves, but like in like hovels, and they think that they're crime fighters. <laughs> well, you they would have to be like like kid detectives, like Hardy Boys style when yes, they were but young. Adults. No, but when adults. no when they were younger, oh, and they okay. just never grew up. Okay, yeah, kind of I mean, like Mystery Team. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, overall, uh, I, I, I liked this movie a lot. This is definitely a movie I will watch again in my life, probably multiple times. 78 times, guys. I've seen this movie 78 times. We all that... know how many bagels I'm going to give it. Oh, for... your your allegiance to it is not up for question in the slightest. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's an issue. I have original pressing of the one of the original posters. Wow. Uh, 16 by 11. It. In my office. Mm. Yes. So bagels. <laughs> mm. Lils. Me. Yeah. Uh, eight bagels. All right. So I will be taking her five. <laughs> <laughs> really, you're gonna give it. You're gonna give it eighteen bagels. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> at a certain point, extra credit. You are going to give it eighteen bagels, aren't you? <laughs> um. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and eat a bagel. Um. Uh, as monstrously. Oh, you can't. You can't see him, but he actually had. He brought out a bagel for just to show us. Why yeah, did you bring locks? <laughs> oh God! And now he's showing us his belly. I have this bagel here. I'm going to eat it like a monster, like Charles Durning. In a <laughs> <laughs> and um, I am going to leave the remaining 12 in there. I wanted that bagel for my basket. <laughs> yes, I, I left I 18 bagels. I took Lils's five, and I have the rest. I mean, if anyone should be allowed to break the rules of your show, it should be you. Yeah, fair enough. No, there, there have been a few people who have taken my bagels and put them in their own baskets. Um, but yeah, to me, this is a perfect movie. It's so much fun, and Marvin Hamlish adapting Scott Joplin's music is just so good. And he won an Oscar, but yes. So he also what you won guys won? He also won a Best New Artist Grammy many, many years after he had long been a staple of. Music. So did Christopher Cross. <laughs> what did I do now? <laughs> uh you just caught caught between the moon and New York City. And you're going to ride like the wind. And I swear I didn't put something in your drink. 
Oh, you've got such a long way to go. Such a long way to go. (laughs) What do you want to promote? Ladles and jelly spoons. Um, I guess I'll start by saying check out uh, Jukebox Zeros. It's the podcast I normally do with our goon friend Patrick about bad albums. And uh, be on the lookout for another podcast that I'm doing with uh, our good friend Scott Pocket here called Hell is a Musical. That's going to be on the Zero Science Network along with a bunch of other podcasts where basically Scott shows me a musical and I probably don't like it, but sometimes I do, but not usually. Because musicals suck. (laughs) Yeah, but the first one that uh, will be premiering this month was actually a pretty good one. Yeah, that was one I liked. But then you followed it up with an incredibly shitty one. I can't be kind to you. You hated the sting. (laughs) I didn't hate the sting. I don't know, Chris. I have been clear multiple (laughs) times that I enjoyed parts of the sting. Chris, verdict? (laughs) Verdict? Uh, I mean, 8 out of 13 ain't nothing to sneeze at. So she hated the sting. I said ain't nothing to sneeze at. That's you. (laughs) Don't you be twisting my words. (laughs) (laughs) Lils, why are you holding a gun? (laughs) It's the only way I can feel human anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I live another day. Chris, what do you want to promote? I got a couple podcasts uh, also on the Zero Science Network. Uh, Old Men Yell at Cloud. uh, Also with um, that McDonald's-eating trash man Patrick. (laughs) Uh, and Jim Schultz, the degenerate gambler I referenced earlier tonight. He's well never going to be on this podcast. Thanks. It's okay. We always call him a degenerate gambler. But I yeah, want he's... him on this podcast. Then don't call him a degenerate gambler. You don't have to. No one's making you. I'm just doing it. Uh, so, yeah, and I also do Nickelback in with uh, two of my oldest friends in the world, uh, John Green and Abram Tabor. And, yeah, that's that's about all I got going on at the moment. Yeah, Lil's... Already said it. Hell is a musical. So I have done Hell is a Musical with Lils. I've also done Where in the World is Stephen Quincy Urkel with Chris. So you should listen to those on Zero Science. And uh, please, please, somebody, I need new people to join the Facebook page. Join the fucking Facebook page. You can enjoy the Facebook page. Or you could not. I don't care. I'm not your mother. (laughs) So... Chris Lils, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for yeah, no having problem. us. Um, yeah, thanks for forcing me to watch this movie. <laughs> and being pleasantly surprised. <laughs> oh, I wasn't pleasantly surprised. I was expecting to like it. Oh, this, good. this has been on my two-watch list forever, so you just force the hand. Oh, man. Um, oh, did you want to promote your other new podcast that you're doing with, with the McDonald's eating? I could talk about that, I suppose, because it's it's a little bit relevant to the topic at hand. This is uh, actually news to me. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, Pat and I have started a podcast called Must Watch Movies. <laughs> oh, that has nothing to do with McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, it has it. to do with a McDonald's eating gentleman. <laughs> uh, yes, so, uh, yes. That, I, that's a twist right there. Yeah, that yeah, so dill pa- hole who was supposed to be on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, so Patrick has uh, no attention span, and... Basically, is is cool with TV shows, but not movies. I know. So I like, frequently like make me. fun of him for this. Yeah, I frequently make fun of him for this. So uh, we decided to we decided to have a podcast in which I assign him a movie to watch. He gets to watch it with a guest, and then they can discuss it. 
And uh, each episode starts with me discussing what I want Pat and the guests to get out of it. And then afterwards, uh, we'll find out what they actually got out of it. (laughs) Gets to. Yes. (laughs) Make him do Arthur because he's, he, it's one of my favorite comedies. He's called it Alfred multiple times. Oh, that's pretty good. I'll I'll add it to uh to the list of stuff to add in there. Yeah. Um we already we already have the whole first year planned out. Uh so that is that is not on the first year, but I'm just waiting is... for when you inevitably make me one of the guests because I know it's going to happen cuz I am very very poorly educated when it comes to movies. So all I am doing, I am assigning the films. I'm recording my bit for the beginning and I'm editing the episodes. I have no involvement other than that. So Patrick's doing mm-hmm. all of the scheduling, all of the guest selection, everything like that. That's that's completely all up to him. Okay. I feel like I'm too learned <laughs> to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there are circumstances in which I am going to assign him movies that are not necessarily critically acclaimed, but have cultural impact nonetheless. Dirty work. <laughs> and Cino Man, I love Dirty Work so I much, l- and Cino Man's great too. Oh, that's another uh, episode that I should have you on for when I eventually do Dirty Work. I love Dirty oh, Work. Oh God, Dirty! I've watched Dirty Work twice in a day before. Uh, Me too. So yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Um, Settle down, prostitutes. But, no, but uh, I I have him doing a um uh, a certain slasher that's uh, topical for October. So I, I won't say any more than that. It's Psycho, isn't it? <laughs> Nope. All right. So, yep. once again, Psycho, thank Psycho's not a slasher. Come on. Eh. So, once again, thank you so much for doing this, both of you. Until Welcome. next time, I'm Scott Curlin. Bye. 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 <laughs>